I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. fans and welcome to the 100th episode of the bird calls i i feel like this should be a bigger deal but i didn't really plan anything <laughs> anyway uh if that doesn't hype up an episode what does anyway we've got two very special uh guys with us today they are of course our ogs before we head out to valley of the suns with bright side of the suns dave king but first up it's editor-in-chief to the birdrights.com the man who routinely spots celebrities at his local rouses what's up ollie Hey, what's going on, Preston? Yeah, are you talking about when spotting local celebrities, that include... Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Kevin Berrios. The Kevin Berrios. And, and what a nice transition because we also have with us the forgotten corpse of Portacol, uh, their star bartender. Is, is there anything left of you right now, Kevin? Uh, a little bit. Um, I'm currently in the middle of Photoshopping your face on, into that famous photo at Tiananmen Square, fighting off tanking. Oh my um, God! <laughs> but, uh, we don't... Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm still breathing. Uh, turnarounds are rough, but uh, I'm doing all right. And sometimes I get followed through the grocery store by weirdos. <laughs> and and they photograph you as well if things couldn't get any creepier. Uh, before we get started, Ali, I know you've been burning the midnight oil with me the last two nights, uh, watching our friends from Los Angeles down the Spurs, back-to-back losses against both the Clippers and the Lakers. What were you thinking last night during the fourth quarter as it seemingly like was happening again? I don't know what to expect anymore, but all I do think about is whenever the Bird Rights account, a.k.a. Preston, tweet something out and it does you know the opposite happens oh look the spurs are gonna win we don't have to watch that was the other night and i forget what you put <laughs> i'm loving it you gotta keep it going man it's worth <laughs> yeah it was definitely tongue-in-cheek and uh, a couple of people definitely were on to what i was doing there but it worked both times and we actually got a couple of tweets uh both last night and the night before from the pounding, uh, pounding the rocks account, which is the SB Nation affiliate of the San Antonio Spurs, they were not too happy with me to <laughs> say the least. But the Clippers were actually very flirtatious over on the Twitter, so it was fun interacting with those guys. And uh, hope we keep it going. It's all in good fun. Uh, we'll get into the Spurs schedule a little bit um, further into the episode and about what everything means going forward. They've got a, a pretty manageable three games, so. 
that finale on April 11th looming large right now. But let's go ahead and start with the game last night, Kevin Berrios, 123-95. to A couple of storylines to take away from this. Uh, the scoring of the big four, Etuan Moore, Drew Holiday, AD, and Nico Miritich with his clean-shaven face with 25 points on 10 of 12, including three of five from three. But uh, maybe the biggest story from this one has to be the ankle injury suffered by Ian Clark. Uh, how big could that injury be if he is forced to miss a couple of weeks, Kevin? I mean, that's pretty big. I mean, he's been one of the the main guy you could count on coming off the bench lately. You know, um, he struggled to start the season, but closing it out, he's been um, the most consistent bench contributor, I'd say. Um, so losing his scoring um, is going to be tough if that's the case. You know, I don't think we've gotten results yet other than a, a negative x-ray report, correct? Um, but if it's anything where he's going to miss significant time, it's something that they have to worry about and they should start to look at someone to come fill in that role because we definitely need some more scoring off the bench. Yeah, definitely. The x-rays came back negative last night, and they came out rather quickly, too. I want to say it was within five minutes of him leaving the court. Uh, technology these days, hashtag technology. But the MRI is still scheduled for today, so we're waiting uh, anxiously by our computers to get the news uh, as to that. In the meantime, Ali, uh, the Pelicans are obviously expected to have their way with the Phoenix Suns uh, on Friday night. But after that, they head to the Clippers and then Golden State, two of those very important games in three nights. Who is going to replace his bench scoring? Ugh, I don't think anybody really can. It's just going to have to be a combined effort because he, he's one of those shifty um, guards who really can look for his own scoring off the dribble. As to where, you know, Darius Miller coming off the bench, he can't do that. DeAndre Liggins, he's more defensive-oriented. Larry Drew, who honestly gets spotty men simply because he's not up to speed, I think, with playing with not only the team but NBA basketball in general so there, there's really nobody pressing that's why i sent out that tweet yesterday about if if say worst case scenario happens and he's done for the year and granted it, it only takes a couple of week injury and he's done basically right we got a, one week of the regular season and if the playoffs happen you know that may just be another 10 days 14 days at the most so yeah i think they've got to seriously contemplate on bringing in somebody else but i, I know we'll get to that later in the podcast how do you know that, Ollie? <laughs> did I you, don't did know. You... I got this sense about you. <laughs> uh, before we move on to that, Kevin, just some some lineup uh, tinkering that, that could uh, help alleviate this possibly. Of course, Etwan Moore had a fantastic game last night. Uh, his career highs in three-point uh, shots made is now seven. He scored 30 on the night, and he pretty much got whatever he wanted all night long. One possible solution, and uh, we'll combine this with the Solomon Hill take we're about to have. He's been struggling last night. He was simply awful from the field, at least offensively, shooting 0 for 6. And those 6 were not very close in most instances. But one possible way to uh, to stopgap this wound is to bring Solomon Hill back into the starting lineup as he was last year. Each one more off the bench, uh, similar to that bench utility score role that he did last year. How would you help solve this in the interim, Kevin? Well, that was exactly what I was going to suggest. I mean, um, it's either that or you could or you could bring Darius. But again, you want scoring off the bench. So um, bringing Darius off the bench would be better if, you know, you get a if you get a Darius that's making shots. But um, yeah, I would, that's what I would do. If no, if you didn't sign anyone, I would elevate Solomon Hill to the starting small forward and put Etwan on the bench and bring him off there and let him cook. Um, off the bench and hopefully, you know, his recent stretch of pretty decent games um, 
will carry on as well. And you know, he can replace those minutes that way. Ali, I think that was a lovely transition. Before I get to uh, what, what your take on this would be, uh, I want to briefly talk about Darius Miller. He's been struggling lately. I, I, I posted on Twitter, and I think we talked about it in the last podcast. He's only posted one positive net rating in the past month. And last night, he struggled yet again, three for nine. And he just looks to be hesitant in most instances. He's passing up open shots on some other shots. He's either shooting too short or, in most instances, too long. He just doesn't look to be comfortable out there. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly what's going on with him. What are you seeing? Well, it's just that. It's a lack of confidence. And for a player like him who's not aggressive to begin with, that's a problem because then it just spreads throughout his entire game, all of his minutes he's out on the floor. Um, yesterday he passed up on a ton of uh, open shots, and especially towards the later part of the game as to where he got off kind of that weird start, another slow start, I should say. And uh, so he was very hesitant. That's the exact right word to use, Preston. Um, he passed out, for instance, on a couple wide open threes, and um, then he would either just go ahead and pass it, you know, like say to Ronda with a shot clock winding down, or he'd like to take a dribble in closer. And then by that time, the defense has recovered. And suddenly he's either forcing up a tougher jumper or, again, he's just trying to flip off the pass to somebody else who really isn't in position to do anything more than what he could have done originally. So it's a big problem because, honestly, the Pelicans' offense completely relies on that um, offensive movement, ball cutting, and passing. And then when a player is hesitant out there, obviously that comes to a standstill. Um, Yeah, they've got to somehow get him back on track. But, you know, they still got a little bit of time. And I think it's a bigger takeaway from this game is the fact that we did have a couple guys really step back up and into being those confident shooters that the Pelicans sorely need around Holiday and Davis. And that's, of course, each one more Nikola Mirotic. Yeah, definitely need that production out of them on that game. And let's go right into that conversation uh, with Nikola Mirotic. Uh, he was kind of a star yesterday, both pre and post game, uh, having clean shaved his face. I don't think he had shaved since his his playing days in Spain. So it had been a hot second. He joked that uh, his child didn't even recognize him. And Joel Myers frequently made comments during the uh, telecast that uh, he looked like a teenager and he needed to be carded. The one thing that I did want to harp on, uh, Kevin, not only his shooting night, 10 of 12, and how well he played and how he picked his spots, but that Alvin Gentry chose to insert him into the starting lineup. Now, it's not that strange uh, a maneuver because Anthony Davis and Marcus Gasol were set to go head-to-head, and uh, I think they probably wanted to go small and push the pace in this one because the Grizzlies do have such a slow-footed pace. Uh, they typically only hold their opponents to 80 shots per game, and Marcus Hall was not aggressive in this one, just three shots per game. So putting Meritich in ended up being the right choice. But it did take Okafer off the floor, and it took one more shooter off the bench and into the starting lineup. Uh, what did you think of that move? I mean, last night, who really cared what the lineup was because yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're playing against a team that's fielding a bunch of guys trying to – find a, their way in the league trying to stick with teams not necessarily the Grizzlies later on outside of Marcus All and Marcus All has clearly started vacation early because uh, that wasn't you know the Marcus All I'm used to seeing you know last night so it's hard to take anything away from that one thing I did think was interesting I don't know did you catch this Ali it seemed like they announced um when they announced Miritich last night they announced him as the center which I thought was unusual because even when Boogie and AD were playing together, they would announce them both as forwards. But um, I don't know. That was just weird to me. But, um, yeah, I mean, he had a great game. Um, I'm not ready to say that he's going to continue to play that way. You know, we got to see more. He's playing against a bad opponent. But I thought they did a good job of getting him some early easy buckets. 
to get that confidence going. And, you know, maybe the, just the sort of um, the placebo effect of making a change, you know, sort of had him play looser, but also just playing some, you know, basically uh, G League level talent, you know, had him, uh, had him looking a lot better than he was. But I mean, still, he, when he would take shots before that were open, even though he took a lot of bad shots, he was missing them and now he was hitting those. So um, it wasn't necessarily because of, a lack of defense or whatever, but you know, it was good to see him back to what we were hoping to get from him. And hopefully, you know, we at least get 80% of that 60% of that um, going forward. And I'd be happy with that. Yeah. It's kind of hard to take anything away from a game that was holding out Chandler Parsons, Jermichael Green, Mario Chalmers, and Wayne Selden to go with a, a few others, including Mike Conley, uh, most significantly of all. Ali, uh, I guess we don't have to spend too much time. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I had a few more things on Miritich because I was there and in the locker room. And, guys, the relief on his face when uh, he we, – somebody asked him how good did it feel to knock down that first three-pointer. He's like, I, I feel like I've never made a three-pointer before. I mean, honestly, everything that guy said yesterday in post game, it was just all relief. It was 100% relief. So, to me – I think, Kevin, you're absolutely right to list as a placebo effect because whatever, I mean, you know, he can go right back to slumping, of course, but to him, it was a really big deal. Um, I know it was a JV team from Memphis, but again, sometimes a player, it doesn't matter who the opponent is, but they have to get over their own hurdles, and I think that's exactly what hopefully happened with Nicola yesterday. And also, in addition, I just want to say, if you notice his performance on the floor, you're right. He had a couple of layups in that first quarter where I think one was a breakaway dunk, and I forget what the other one was, but it was also at the rim. But then he was just smart with his shot selection. Like, for instance, he wouldn't force those threes. I remember specifically he was on the same end of the court as Anthony Davis on one play, and uh, they were really shading Anthony Davis with a double team as to where Gasol did not want to truly leave and come out to Miritich. But then when Miritich looked like he was going to pull up and shoot the three, then Gasol kind of lunged at him. Instead of shooting it, you know, Miritich just made a couple of dribbles down towards the baseline, shot an open uh, jumper, knocked it in, and that was like – that's exactly what he did for the rest of the night. I mean, I don't remember. Do you guys remember him even forcing any shots? Because I don't. So I know, again, we, we talked about it. It's uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. Obviously, it's a crappy, crappy team that they fielded out there. But I think it, that doesn't matter. You know, Miritich mm-hmm. needed to get his confidence back. And not only did we see that happen, we also saw the signs of better decision-making and stuff. So I think it's something, honestly, to cling on to going forward. Uh, there was one contested, I think it was probably about a 14 or 15 foot uh, jumper that he took from the sideline and it actually went in and Joel Myers made a comment about it. But for the most part, he did a wonderful job of picking his spots. He got some early transition uh, layups and some, he had a nice mm-hmm. dunk, a two handed dunk going in early. So I think that did a lot to build his confidence. I'm sure he was very nervous with all the attention he was getting due to his new clean shaven face. So it was nice to see him reap the benefits of all of that. With that being said, Kevin, uh, we've got the Suns and we've got the Clippers and back-to-back games on Friday and Saturday. And we're not going to do a full-fledged preview right now, but I, I just want to talk about the lineups because uh, Alvin Gentry, in my opinion, can't keep uh, changing the lineups based on the opponent. I know it's something that Popovich has been known to do in the playoffs. Uh, but with that being said, it, it would be nice to establish some kind of rhythm right now. And going forward, do you think Meritich is going to stay in the starting lineup? Um, first up, just a quick correction. It's Saturday. We play the Warriors, right? Oh, that's right. The Clippers are on okay. Monday. Okay. And me. then I just want to add two little things to what Ollie said. First off, you said Marcus Hall looked like he didn't want to leave. I felt like he looked like he wanted to leave the entire game. And then <laughs> on, on top of that, uh, I think we could look at last night's game as sort of like 
you just got this for Miritich, that was he just got out of a bad relationship. Last night's game was that brief dive into Tinder to get his confidence <laughs> back up. And then now he's ready to go on to another long term relationship, let's hope. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, back to your question. Um, yeah, I think w- if if Gentry wants to keep riding Miritich, I, I would understand that, especially in the Suns game. Um, because again, it's a similar kind of game. I don't think you can do that against the the Clippers because you know you're talking about having DeAndre Jordan down there, and um, and you have guys like Tobias Harris that play the four. Sometimes you have uh, Montrezl Harrell uh, who killed us last time. So you're going to need some bigger, more um, center-like post presence bodies down there to to box out and rebound and um and defend the rim um so i think in that i'm sorry i got off track again because you said the clippers against the warriors um i think he could probably go with miritich although that sort of plays into their hands a little bit you're playing but i mean that's what gentry wants to play too anyway it's fast so it doesn't really matter um i mean i like seeing okafor out there i think he does a lot of good things to help everybody else on the team but if Miritich is back to being a scoring threat, then I'm fine with him starting. Um, but again, we did lose Ian Clark, so it might help to have him coming off the bench also um, to provide a little bit of a spark. Yeah, definitely. Let's, before we go forward, and sorry for throwing you off about that, Kevin. Uh, I don't know why I think I had the Clippers on Saturday. So the back to back is the Suns and the Warriors, and then the Pelicans stay on the road on Monday. They go over and they face the Clippers, and the Clippers are doing well right now. They're 42 and 36. They're just two games back following the Nuggets, who are just one game back. And we'll delve down into that a little bit later, but that one's promising to be an important game. San Antonio's promising to be an important game. But before we get to all that, uh, Ali, you mentioned this earlier, and we might as well get to it now. Uh, the Pelicans might need another bench score, and there's just not a lot on the, mar- uh, on the market uh, as of right now of course we're going to mention jordan crawford because uh he's a friend of the program and uh, a feel-good story instant grits michael jordan crawford whatever you want to call him uh he is available it's it's a bit of a difficult situation to figure out if the pelicans can utilize him in the playoffs i know this is something ollie and i were talking about last night because if you fully guarantee someone and you cut them you're not allowed to bring them back unless somebody else does first or if a team cuts them after march 1st then they can't be utilized for the playoffs. Of course, he was cut before March 1st, but maybe, Ali, you'll describe it a bit better than I just did about whether or not the Pelicans can actually use him in the playoffs. They can use him, and they can definitely bring him back, Preston, because all they did back in August was renegotiate a partially guaranteed contract where, whereby they just simply pushed the date back further so they could have a longer look to, and to decide whether they wanted to keep him or not. Since that date never hit, he was basically, you know, they just didn't guarantee his contract. So they could technically resign him. There's no waiting one-year period or anything like that. Because, like I said, it only happens with guaranteed contracts. I can't remember the player, but there was once a player who uh, entered a season with a partially guaranteed contract, didn't make the team, and then they, he was brought back on like a 10-day or maybe a couple 10 days. Then he was signed uh, to a fully guarantee. So it's like one team just basically, you know, ran the whole gambit. And I wish to God I could remember who it was, but I don't. But anyways, Jordan Crawford is available, and I, th- I just think he makes the most sense because he's familiar with most of the guys on this roster. We saw what he could do, and that is provide the offensive spark plug. So I think it's really critical that the Pelicans somehow find a way to replace, you know, Ian Clark's production. I don't think there's a better way than, you know, than doing it through Jordan Crawford. I mean, what, 
you can maybe go and search out, like say, kick the tires on Leandro Barbosa, maybe some other veterans. But again, I, I just don't see it happening. There's only a few games left in the regular season. Every minute's vital. And then you're going right into the playoffs where, you, you know, you've got to have that continuity. Everybody's got to know who's going to do what and when. And, of course, bringing a new player, it's, it's just I can't see it happening. Yeah, I'll throw it over to Kevin. I know what you're going to say, but here are some of the names that I managed to dig up. OJ Mayo uh, is going to Puerto Rico right now to play in one of the leagues there. However, uh, there is a clause in his contract. He can go back to the NBA. Then you've got Norris Cole, Archie Goodwin, Pierre Jackson, Ty Lawson, Kendall Marshall, KJ McDaniel, Sergio Rodriguez, Rodney Stuckey, uh, potentially Marcus Thornton, and I could be wrong on some of these. This uh, list is about a month old at this point. Kevin, uh, is there anyone in particular you've got your eye on? No, I mean, another thing to consider, too, is that today Larry Drew's 10-day uh, comes up. So they either – this was his second one, correct? That's in yes, was it still first. So they either have to commit to him or, or release him, and then that would open up a roster spot. So there's going to be some signing or dumping today um, because of that. Um, and I do think that, you know, while there's some players on that list that you said that have – slightly intrigued me i mean obviously nobody that we're talking about is a superstar but um jordan crawford clearly makes the most sense i mean when he was here earlier this season and he wasn't looking like the jordan crawford we were used to it's because we they were playing him as a point guard which now he wouldn't have to be be in that role you could always pair him with drew holiday or rajon rondo um and he could be that you know bench scorer and like sort of secondary playmaker that we all came to love last season. And I just think, you know, he's familiar with the, with the team. He's familiar with the players. He's familiar with the coaching staff. His style of play fits what they want to do. He, you know, can shoot off the dribble. He can get to the rim. He can uh, be a catch and shoot guy. I mean, he's not a good defender, but who is, you know, in that, in that bench rotation right now anyway. Um, So I think that's clearly the move to make. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully it works out because, I mean, we all love Jordan Crawford and, you know, he was he was a, a, a fun player to watch when he got hot and he played really well for us for some time. And I'd like to see it happen. And I'd like the, a good guy like him to get another second chance, whether it be with us for later or, you know, another audition for other teams because he deserves it. Yeah, and C.J. Watson's the last name on that list that I forgot to mention. Uh, would love to have Jordan back with that. Being said, uh, we're just playing the waiting game right now. We don't know if Ian Clark will be back in the next week, the next two weeks. Uh, so hopefully it's not something that keeps him out for the entire season because he has played well and he does deserve the opportunity to go out in the free agent market this summer and uh, reach some some kind of agreement with somebody. The Pelicans don't have a lot of money to give to him, but hopefully he can, uh, he can play his way back into a nice contract because he certainly deserves it. Ali, I think it's time, uh, unless you have anything else on the Pelicans, uh, and we are going to do a preview after that uh, of the the Suns and the Warriors, but I think it's time to take a look around the Western Conference. You ready for that? Let's do it. All right. Here's what we've got left. The Jazz on their docket have the Clippers at the Lakers. They've got Golden State, and then they go at Portland. And it's so difficult to tell what's going to happen in these games because for all the, the whining and crying Steve Kerr and the and the Warriors do about how difficult it is to play, uh, you know, into the deep into the playoffs four years in a row, they certainly are. They certainly aren't taking their foots off the pedal at this point. Uh, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant still playing thirty five minutes per game, trying very hard to win each of these games. That was a, a barn burner against Oklahoma City, and it ultimately helped the Pelicans because it brings the Thunder back to the pack, and the Pelicans 
Pelicans, uh, coincidentally, have the tiebreaker over them. But do you think Golden State keeps playing balls to the wall for the remainder of this season, Ollie? I think they'll keep playing their starters uh, minutes. I don't think anybody outside of maybe possibly the last game of the season. It's kind of a tradition with the better teams where they don't play their, you know, their main core guys. Um, but yeah, for the most part, Preston, you've got to expect them to play because Clay Thompson's only been back for three games. Same thing with Kevin Durant and Draymond Green. They've had very spotty minutes of late. So these guys have to be in playoff form before the playoffs start um, simply because they've missed so much time. So I'm not expecting them to do us any favors. I don't know why so many people are because you just can't expect that at all. Um, they've, they got to worry about themselves. Number one. And because, you know, what's the biggest thing I've seen that's been driving me crazy. Oh, Steve Kerr is going to do Alvin Gentry is solid because, you know, they were on the same team once again. I think that's just such utter nonsense. It's got to stop. So no press. unfortunately they're not going to give us a break. They've got their own priorities. And unfortunately the Pelicans are not one of them. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Why don't you go ahead and give us a record for the Jazz? Again, they're home against the Clippers. They travel to Los Angeles to the Lakers, who just defeated the Spurs in overtime last night. Then home for the Warriors, then at Portland, the last game of the season. And by that point in time, Portland will have the three seed likely locked up. Yeah, that's the team that I think is the most interesting one because they've had two great streaks this season where they just seem like world beaters. Honestly, they seem like they were playing on the same level as the Wars or the Rockets, where they were not just beating teams. They were blowing people out. Uh, they've kind of come back to earth of late, even though I think they've rattled off, what is it, about three wins in a row, including a stomping of the Timberwolves. But then again, Minnesota looks like a shell of them former selves. But to answer your question, I mean, I honestly think they'll probably go something like three and one. Um, they're either going to, you know, either fumble away one, maybe to like, say, you know, a hot Lakers squad who we just saw knock off the Spurs or maybe the Warriors will go ahead and beat them. But you've got to think that the Jazz are at the minimum going to go two and two, but I'm expecting them to go three and one. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, I think it's three and one. And I think the loss either comes to the Warriors or, or the Trailblazers. Um, yeah. All right, let's move right along to Oklahoma City, Kevin, and we're going to start with you. Uh, tonight, they're at Houston, then they go at Miami, and then they finish against Memphis, who uh, by that point in time might not be playing anybody. So the only two games that really matter here are at the Rockets. How hard are the Rockets going to play at this point in time? I know Chris Paul has uh, seen some DNPs lately. Miami, you can trust that they're going to be playing full out when Oklahoma City travels there. Uh, do you think there's any likelihood that Oklahoma City drops any of these three? I mean, obviously, I, they could lose to the to the Rockets. I think, um, but I I think that they'll win that game this time because, as you said, the Rockets don't have much to to they don't have anything to gain or lose by winning or losing right now. Um, and it will be a chance for. I'm not going to say they'll rest people, but you know, maybe play them less minutes, or if it's you know, they won't worry about you know battling to to win a close game you know if the if the thunders start to make a little run they might just concede early and let it happen you know all right so if the pelicans are to utilize their tiebreaker against oklahoma city they will need to match them going forward <laughs> ollie what do you think are oklahoma city's chances uh, at finishing the season three and zero? i don't think it's actually very good i think the rockets are going to come out and try and uh, prove a point to the thunder I had heard that they were really upset by their performance against the Spurs, where they were literally blown out. And uh, so Mike D'Antoni, he's not really known for resting players either. I expect them to fully actually knock off the Thunder this coming Saturday. 
And, you know, it's a toss-up going into Miami to play a Heat. And I swear I've been saying it all year every time we've talked Miami. But I love the way Spolster gets that team ready to play. And they always bring uh, great, great effort. I'm um, sure the Grizzlies is going to be a win. But I think best at best-case scenario, Thunder finished 2-1. and one, And I'm praying that it, it turns into 1-2. and two. All right. Now, that one's an important one to keep an eye on, because if the Pelicans can match Oklahoma City going forward, the Pelicans have four games left. They can match the loss record of Oklahoma City at that point, and they will leap them in the standings unless there's some kind of three or four way tie, which is another possibility that we'll get to. Let's move right along to Minnesota. We'll start with Ali. They've got a tough stretch in front of them. They go at Denver at the Lakers, then home for the Grizzlies and then the Nuggets at home. How do you see that shaking out for them? Well, they're they're fortunate that they're uh, they've got you know the Grizzlies. Um, after that, you know all bets are off. The Nuggets have somehow been uh, the poster child for miracle wins of late. Um, you know, so they're riding kind of that lucky hot streak. And without Jimmy Butler, I can very much foresee them. You know, blow or I'm sorry, excuse me, was it they play him twice? Yeah, so I can see them taking both games away from. Uh, um, or losing both games of the Denver Nuggets. Excuse me. I keep looking at the schedules. Um, as for the Lakers, yeah, the Lakers always play those young guys and they always play ferociously. So honestly, they could finish one and three, although I'm going to give them two and two. I think they're going to drop either one or both game Nuggets and or the Lakers. They're just simply playing such bad ball. And I heard that Jimmy Butler is going to try and make it back. But even if he makes it back, guys, he's missed so much time. You can't expect him to be 100%. So I don't think he's going to be a difference maker. Um it's all going to come down to uh, how, how much they're going to get out of Cat and Wiggins. Who, you know, they, they're, it's not that the points are missing, but it's their effort overall on the entire floor. That's what um, has been driving Tibbs crazy over there. So I don't see them changing it around and suddenly coming in, you know, like a fireball over the last four games. I think, honestly, they're the team that's maybe looking on the outside in on the playoffs. And the Pelicans do not have the tiebreaker over Minnesota, so they will need to leap over them. Uh, Kevin, what do you see the Wolves doing over this final stretch? Yeah, I agree with Ollie. Like I was going to say, he just said what I was going to say, that I see this as the team that falls out of the out of the playoffs. I think, um, you know, we were going to talk about fatigue in our guys. You see fatigue in those guys. And then, you know, without Jimmy Butler, they haven't been the same team. They They were never really a great defensive team, even with Jimmy Butler and they're playing some potent offenses. Um, I just don't think they're going to have enough to to make it over the hump. All right, so right now we've got the Jazz with 48 wins, Oklahoma City with 47, Minnesota with 46. We go to the Spurs, who are hosting Portland, and then they're hosting the Sacramento Kings before going to New Orleans next Wednesday, April 11th. Ali, what do you see happening here? Again, I think the Spurs might be the toughest one uh, simply because we've got to play them. You know, they're going to get a handful from the Trailblazers, but I think they'll take that game simply because Damian Lillard, I think, what is he questionable to play? He's got, he's dealing with some kind of current ankle injury. So Portland may be wise to rest them because I feel like all they've got to do is win maybe, maybe one game to clinch that third seed. So they're going to be smart about uh, pushing their stars, including Damian. Of course, then the Kings, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to kill them you've got to think so it's going to come down to that final game of the season pressing the spurs and we're going to get their best shot um of course popovich led team and that's the one that i'm afraid of i mean i know everybody's going to point to three years ago but what does three years have to do with this team and this roster so i think a lot's going to come down to riding on that game and honestly it's a coin flip on who 
pulls it out. I mean, my heart definitely says the Pelicans, but my head says, oh, my God, goodness, can, can they do it again to the Spurs and Popovich and win such an important game on the final game of the regular season? I'm not sure. This is really important, Kevin, because uh, Damian Lillard, as Ali just mentioned, has a sprained ankle. And according to Shams, he's day to day and he's likely to miss his game with Houston. Uh, I can't see the exact date on that one, but I think that that game might have already happened. But I Thursday's game in Houston. So it is still to come. Uh, But if San Antonio is to play Portland without Damian Lillard, that would definitely help them. And then Denver has them without Damian Lillard, potentially, I think on Monday uh, is the next game. So Kevin, where do you see San Antonio with Portland at home, the Kings at home, and then at New Orleans? I think they're going to win in Portland. I think they're going to get upset against Sacramento. I just have a little feeling. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I think something's going to happen and they're going to get upset. It's going to be, I just have that feeling. I don't know. There's no logic behind it. I just feel that way. Um, I think you're going to have a big game from De'Aaron Fox. He's been playing really well and very good in the clutch lately. Um, And I think it's going to be a closer game than people think, obviously. Um, And then I think uh, we're able to pull that one out again at home. We should pull that one out. Um, And uh, I think they'll go one and two. All right, that puts them at 46 and 36, tied with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Next, we go to New Orleans, who is 44 and 34. They are going to Phoenix. And then on the second night of a back-to-back, they go to Golden State, who is likely, as Ali mentioned, to play Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green, somewhere between 30 and 35 minutes each before they go to Los Angeles to face the Clippers, who are in their own dogfight. And then finally, at San Antonio. The Pelicans are one of the more interesting teams to watch again, just because they're one of the few teams left that have four meaningful games, uh, that also being with Denver and the Clippers and Minnesota. Everyone else has three. Ollie, how do you see this shaking out? Oh, I really want to see three and one. I mean, I, I just don't see four and oh, but part of me, a big part of me thinks they may go two and two. I see them beating the Suns and I think they'll take care of the Clippers. Uh, I've already talked about how I just don't see them beating the Warriors for the last couple of weeks, and it's going to be down to that Spurs game. I was so much more confident when the Spurs were kind of playing a lot worse, but recently they've been playing a lot better, so it's a total toss-up. You know, I'm going to let Kevin be the tiebreaker because, like I said, it's either going to be 3-1 and one or 2-2, two and two, and I don't see any reason to pick one more than the other right now. With the way that you guys have been drawing this up, specifically the Spurs, uh, with Kevin choosing them to go one and two over their final three, if the Pelicans can manage to get three of these games, that would give them the highly coveted six seed. So how do you see it happening, Kevin? I see us going three and one, and I think we beat the Suns. I think we shock the Warriors. I think we don't get their best effort, and we win that one. And then we have a letdown game where everybody's like, what happened against the Clippers? and then we beat the Spurs. I made a mistake. If the Pelicans can manage to go uh, three and one over this final four, that would tie them with Oklahoma City. That would make them a fifth seed facing the Utah Jazz. So according to Kevin, we're going to be a fifth seed playing the Jazz. And according to Ali, right now we're in the middle of a three-way tie with the Wolves and the Spurs. So let's go to Denver and see how they shake out. And I can't remember uh, exactly what you said transpired between uh, Denver and Minnesota. I didn't write that down. I should have, but let's, let's call it back. First Denver hosts him, uh, Minnesota, and then they go at the Clippers and then they host Portland probably without Dame. And then they go at the Wolves. How does that shake out? I think they go three and one. I think they're going to take both games from the Timberwolves. And then you've got to think that the trailblazers either won't be a full strength or it'll be, you know, the Clippers who are very beatable. 
So I think they'll at least take one of those games. So I'm giving them an easy three and one. What about you, Kev? Uh, I think, unfortunately, I hate to say it, but I think they're going four and zero. Ooh. Yeah, I was actually thinking the same thing there. I, I didn't know if you were going to continue with that train of thought, but uh, the Wolves have been pretty bad lately, and Portland's likely going to be resting that game. It doesn't carry any significance for them. And then it's just up to the Clippers at that point. And the Clippers uh, definitely did uh, take San Antonio to task the other night. But with that being said, there there is a very realistic possibility that Denver leapfrogs a lot of teams here and gets themselves somewhere situated around the fifth or the sixth seed. Uh, I, this is the first time I'm seeing this. So they could ultimately finish with 47 wins. And we'll see how that will uh, transpire in a moment. But we still have the Clippers to deal with. Uh, with the ways you got, uh, with everything you guys have described thus far, they're probably going to fall out of it. They've got at Utah, then they host Denver, and then they host the Pelicans, um, and then they also host the Lakers. So at least they have a nice homestand there. How does that work out for them, Molly? Uh, I yeah, I think they're done. They're just too far back. Um, and if they lose to the Pelicans, I just can't see any way that they get in. I mean, you've got to think that the Jazz are going to take care of business in Utah. And then, so I don't even care what they do against the Nuggets and the Lakers. They can win or lose. It doesn't matter. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't like their chances one bit, Preston. I just feel like they, they've already shot their load. Even though they did go ahead, come back and beat the Spurs. That was an amazing comeback for them. They just had too many losses. And they, they're just an incomplete team where they rely so heavily on Lou Williams to basically put up, you know, 35, 40 points. And he's not been doing it every night recently anymore. So I don't like their chances. I'm going to give them two and two. All right. What about you, Kev? I have the same record, but I, I think they win the last two, the game against us and the game against uh, the Lakers. All right. So according to Kevin's calculations, we've got Utah as a fourth seed at 48 and 34. We've got Oklahoma City and Denver tied at 47 and 35. And Oklahoma City has that tiebreaker. They went three and one against the Nuggets this year. So then we get to the seventh and eighth seed and we've got a three-way tie between the Timberwolves the Spurs and the Pelicans. And I think at that point it becomes a conference record. Is that right, Ollie? Um, yeah, that's right. You look at conference cause everybody's in different divisions. So, or not everybody, but the Timberwolves are in a different division. So that's thrown out. So yeah, you go to the third tiebreaker, which is best conference records, right? I've got bad news for you guys. That would put the Pelicans out of the playoffs. They have the lowest pretty much of everyone uh, still in it at 23 and 25 in the Western Conference. The Wolves are 31 and 17. That would give them the seventh seed. But, and th- but Preston, first, what's their head-to-head? Because that's that's the first thing you got to look at. Excuse me, I forgot to mention that. Well, it's a three-way you, tie. Head-to-head, how everybody did against each other. And then you, you, the one on the bottom rung is the one that's out. That's on the on the boat, lowest level. Even if there's three of them? Yeah, yeah. That's how it works. I know what, what we do. We went on forward to the Minnesota, right, this year. And we yeah. beat Spurs. If we, if we beat the Spurs last game, it'll be 3-1. and one. So the Pelicans are 3-4. and four. I just don't know how the Spurs and the Timberwolves have played against each other. Yeah, the... The Pelicans could tie it up. It's one to two right now. Maybe Kevin can uh, break this tiebreaker for us. If the Pelicans are able to finish two and two on the season with the Spurs, obviously the Minnesota swept the Pelicans, so there's no tiebreaker to be had there. If the Spurs and the Pelicans end up with the same record, with the Pelicans with a worse conference record and a worse division record, and they're two to two against the Spurs, that keeps them out of the playoffs, right? Uh, I'm I'm not sure, but yeah, I'm not I think either. I think you're right. <laughs> 
Well, this has been a compelling podcast. At, at, at this point in time, we have no answers for you. But it, it looks to me at this point like things could get very dicey here in the next week. Is is this pretty close to how you see everything shaking out, Ali? I know you had a couple of difference of opinions with Kevin back there. Yeah, you just know that this is going to come down to the final game of the season. I've been feeling like that for weeks now. So, yeah, we're headed right there for a crash, almost like an asteroid coming at Earth, I feel like. Uh, it's either going to be it's either going to miss Earth and we're going to be so happy as hell or, you know, April 11th, everybody's going to be crying in New Orleans. All right, Kevin, let's go ahead and let's do a brief preview. Of course, we've got the Suns coming up. They're 20 and 59. Uh, they just won their first game in 16 tries against Sacramento, 97 to 94. Uh, there is a chance I just talked to Dave King uh, that you'll hear right after this, uh, coincidentally, from Bright Side of the Sun. There is a chance that we see an appearance from Devin Booker and TJ Warren in this one, though there is a likelihood that they'll be held out again. Devin Booker, he has a wrist injury to his shooting hand, and without that, he can't really play. So, uh, but but he has been practicing. He has been uh, at shoot-arounds. There is the possibility that we will see him. But even should they not, uh, their star right now has been Josh Jackson, who scored 15 or more points. I want to say in 11 straight contests other than him you've got marquise chris and you've got uh dragon bender who uh anthony davis pretty much ate the last time they faced as well as alex len fouled all three of them out um you'll see some appearances from davin reed their 32nd overall pick as well as troy daniels will probably get somewhere around 10 minutes in this one uh break it down for us kevin you have a prediction for us um yeah i mean i think we're gonna win this game pretty easily but um you know, I think Troy Daniels, if he gets 10 minutes, will have 15 points in those 10 minutes because um, <laughs> uh, he's a he's a pretty underrated shooter. He's a guy I always thought the Pelicans should have looked at for, you know, since he was in Houston back then. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, um, this is a team that's lacking talent right now. Even like a guy like Josh Jackson, he's scoring points, but if you look at the last few games, his shooting percentage hasn't been that great. I think he was like shooting 39% from the floor in one of those games. Um, you know, somebody's got to score, you know, th- that happens. Um, and I think Josh Jackson is going to be a good player, but he's not a player that scares me right now. Devin Booker, on the other hand, if he played even with a hurt wrist, that would be scary. Um, that would put a little fear in me. But other than that, there's nobody really to, and especially if TJ Warren's not playing, who I really like, obviously. Um, there's really not a lot to to worry about there. The main thing that you have to worry about is the Pelicans beating themselves, coming out with a lack of energy or turning the ball over or just not executing properly. That's really the only way you're going to lose that game. It's funny that you say that because I, I was talking to Dave King. Uh, again, you'll hear that right after this. And he was saying in the past week, I'm going to pull up the numbers right now. Uh, they lost to the the Celtics by eight, to the Clippers by 12, to the Rockets by just one point and to the Warriors by 10, but he suggested something similar to what Kevin said. He said every team kind of hits the floor against the Suns right now and just kind of expects to win, and it allows the Suns to play a bit closer than everybody would feel comfortable with. Ali, do you do you see something happening similar to what Kevin just described? No, I just want to point out to Kevin that the Suns just beat the Kings who are supposed to knock off, who is it, the Spurs? <laughs> I got to bring it up, man. I got to bring it up. Well, well remember this. Yeah, even if the Spurs should manage to beat the Kings, that would actually be worse for the Pelicans because then the uh, eighth spot would be up for grabs between the Wolves and the Pelicans, and we obviously know how that would turn out. Uh, So, Ali, you have a decisive victory in this one? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're going to be up early, and hopefully they'll put the game away like they did uh, 
last night in that third quarter. All right. Well, then on Saturday, on the second night of a back-to-back, going over to Oakland to face, to face sorry, Golden State, who is 57-21 and 21 right now, has nothing really to play for. They've got a six-game lead over Portland for the second seed, and I think they're eight games behind Houston, so they've got the two seed locked up. Uh, with that being said, against Oklahoma City, 35 minutes or more were played by Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, Quinn Cook, and Klay Thompson. Uh, so this one's not going to be easy. Uh, a former MVP, you've got two other all-stars. Three of these guys are going to be in attendance playing uh, a full workload against Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday. Kevin, is there any way the Pelicans can escape with this one? Yeah, I mean, I picked us to win this game. I think um, I think you're going to see that minute. Play. I think those guys are going to play, but I think you're going to see that minute play dialed back over this last stretch because what's the point? Um, and while those guys are guys that compete, I think you're going to see them try to get bench guys more minutes in case they are needed because, look, you still have question marks with Stephen Curry coming back. Um, when he's, When's he going to be back and all that? So you, you don't want risk injury to your main guys when you can't lose any ground and you can't gain any ground by winning and by giving guy, other guys more experience, more minutes, and building confidence with them. Um, you know, you you that's a that's what you need going forward and then you're looking at a, a pelicans team that needs this win and that will be hungry and will be up because you are playing it's it's not like when you're playing the suns when you can where you can come out flat because you can underestimate them they're not going to underestimate the warriors um so you're going to see us come out strong i think and then i think if they put in the first half if you see a really strong effort from the pelicans and they're you know have like uh, you know, like a seven-point lead going into halftime. I can see Steve Kerr dialing it back a little bit. But, you know, you're also going to have that Quinn Cook's going to be wanting to show out against his old team, so, and he's been playing great already. Um, so you're going to have uh, probably a great game from him. Um, but it, it's it's going to be a fun game. But I think the Pels will, you know, have it, have it pretty in hand uh, by, the, by the third quarter, I think. Uh, if not, then they will lose the game. Ali, this question is from Waka Waka Wakanda. He says, are you guys jealous that Pelicans don't have Quinn Cook right now? 110% yes. It's an emphatic yes, but I can understand kind of the reasoning why, you know, he didn't stay with the Pelicans, simply because they needed somebody that was ready to provide uh, NBA minutes at the start of the season. And you know what? Quinn Cook wasn't that guy. And we saw that earlier in the year when I, I noticed a few games Steve Kerr gave him some minutes, and he honestly didn't look like he belonged on the floor. So the Pelicans kind of made the right decision for them at the time because they needed to have, as we know, um, somebody in that 15th spot that could provide minutes, and that's why they went in the direction of first Jordan Crawford and, of course, uh, um, Jameer Nelson. So it, it pains me. It pains me terribly because I knew that he, was, he, was, he had a role in this league. He could shoot living daylights out of the ball, and he was kind of solid everywhere. His effort was great. I mean, Jamel when we had him on over the uh, summer, he absolutely gushed about him and what he did for uh, the summer league team. And uh, so I know that he's probably heartbroken still to this day about it, but again, I, I, it's understandable, but yeah, it's not going to make me feel any better. I don't know if you remember this. The last time we had Jamel on, I, I think he had just been picked up by the Warriors and I reached out to you and I was like, I'm going to ask Jamel if he's happy for his old friend. And you were like, don't you dare. We can't upset him. Do you remember that? <laughs> That's right. You're right. <laughs> Hey, one thing I wanted to point out about real quickly about the Warriors. Here's a thing that I, it just occurred to me is the uh, when Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and Draymond all came back and started playing, they had pl- uh, played, I think, their first couple of games once they were fully back, paying full minutes. 
were a couple cupcakes. It was the Kings and the Suns. And then they just beat the Thunder, as you guys mentioned, what, playing 35 minutes plus. Here's the hope. Let's say that they play the Pacers next today. Let's hope that they beat the living hell out of them, kill, kill them by 20, and then then that way Steve Kerr and everybody's feeling confident enough to where they can dial it down. But if they lose to the Pacers, I'm, I'm expecting these guys will see full starters minutes against us. So I think that's going to be key to watch a Pacers matchup tonight. All right, Quinn Cook has had double digits in scoring in 11 straight games with a high of 28 oh. and 30. Uh, 30 came against the Milwaukee Bucks, and let's take a look at his numbers in that one. Oh, man, uh, 12 of 15, 5 of 5 from three-point range. I know. <laughs> we could really use that right now. So he's been impressive, to say the least. Uh, best wishes to our guys uh, going forward this week, and that one's going to be important. We're kind of glossing over the Suns one right now because uh, that one is another must-win. It's going to be critical. Uh, this is pretty much all I've got. I've got a couple of questions hanging on left from uh, Pels in L.A. We, we did a pretty much uh, good job of – of answering this one from Bryce Lord. It said, who should we sign going into this final stretch now that Drew's contract is done? I'd say Jordan Crawford, but curious to hear what you guys think. We've already answered that one. So we'll answer one more question before we get out of here. This is also from Waka Waka Wakanda. He said, who would you like to see the Pels pursue during the upcoming offseason? We'll start with Kev. Um, uh, you know, as much as I love speculating on players to add to the to a team and thinking about trades and free agency that's really fun to do um it's mostly been something that i like to do when we are not a good team and it's like what can we do to make this team better um but i haven't thought that much about it this year because of us being in the hunt being in the playoffs there's not like you know, I, I'm not looking forward to next year. I'm I'm totally engaged in the moment right now. So I, I'd have to wait to the off season to to really start to think about that. Once we're out of the playoffs, then I'll dive into that kind of stuff. I mean, there's you know guys that I like out there, like you know, like I've always liked Kyle Anderson, who will be a restricted free agent in the off season, and I think he would be a, a good fit for this team because he he can play basically four positions on the court. He's not going to demand the ball. He can pass. He can defend. He can rebound. He's kind of a Swiss Army knife player. Um, you know, you have an athletic wing like, um, uh, uh, man, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. Um, Lynn Robinson the third, who's going to be a, a free agent also, you know, uh, you know, add more athleticism to this team. He's a decent defender. He's gotten better as a shooter. You know, the thing is like, we won't have money. So it's also hard to think about what we can do in free agency. It's basically going to be coming down to Dublin salaries and trades. And then that you have to look at where teams are at that point, um, what they're trying to do, what their roster's like, what their draft's like. Um, and we can't really make a big trade until after the draft because we need to get, we need to be able to trade that next draft pick to really acquire anything. Um, so right now, I think it's not really, while it's fun to do, I don't think it's really the point to do it because there's really just too many variables to to worry about um, to try to figure something like that out. But I would like to go back to Quinn Cook just for a second. I was like, I remember Ali and I, we had the all-access passes for the entire weekend of All-Star break, and he and I watched the, the at the time, I think it was still the D-League, but the D-League um, All-Star game, and he was incredible, and we were both pretty excited about, um, you know, the possibilities of him being 
developed on this team and I'm very happy for him. And I remember, I think I wrote about it in my, uh, my off season plan uh, about the shooting is overrated off season plan about how like people wanted us to go after Patty Mills as a free agent. And personally, I don't really like Patty Mills as a player. I think he only, I think once you get him out of the Spurs system, he'll be a very average player. But I felt like Quinn Cook could be that, you know, at least remind you of a Patty Mills from time to time in, in moments. And I, and I think that's what he's kind of doing. And, of course, look, it's like the Ian Clark thing where he's playing with a great team, playing alongside great players. So he's going to look better because he's going to get cleaner looks. His assist number is going to be higher because he passed the ball to Kevin Durant, you know. Um, that being said, he's been a very good player, and I'm very happy for him. All right. Uh, that was a nice summary. Ali, uh, just a reminder, the Pelicans do have their second round pick uh, back this year that they acquired in that Miritich Ashik trade where the Pelicans unload their first round pick. But they can't deal their first round pick until, uh, like Kevin said, the draft transpires uh, somewhere near the end of June. So is there anyone you have your eyeballs on? No, no, no big names. I think what this team needs to do is find some good contributing role players. Uh, we've we've had it sporadically throughout the season. I, I'm looking at. I would love to see them plug, um, have another good big backup center. Uh, I would love to see, like, say Kyle Quinn. I mean, Kevin, I know, loves the guy. And then uh, point guard. You know, we're not sure about Rajon Rondo. Uh, his return, how much he's going to want in salary. So I'm not quite sure who's out there really besides Isaiah Thomas. Um, it doesn't seem like too many players out there, but. Again, I think those are the two main um, positions you need to be looking at from a Pelican's perspective, because that seem, seemingly has been the biggest holes. When Drew Hawley has been asked to do too much at point guard, obviously he's, his decision-making is kind of struggling. Of course, since losing DeMarcus Cousins, a lot has fallen on AD's shoulders, and really there's nobody behind him. So I, I feel like they got to figure out a way to plug some of those holes. All right. Uh, that's pretty much up for uh, it for now. I'm going to be talking to somebody from Golden State of Mind probably tomorrow morning to give us a nice – preview for the Golden State game on Saturday night. Uh, hopefully we run away from the Phoenix Suns tomorrow and uh, then we'll see what happens on Saturday. Thank you so much to our guys. Again, this is at Ali Cosell and at Kevin V for Bounce. Uh, before we move on to part two with Dave King of Bright Side of the Sun, is there anything to plug from you, Ali? Nope. Just going to go to practice later here, actually here in about an hour, see what's going on with the guys. Uh... And then just look for any good tweets. Hopefully we'll get a, an update on Ian Clark. That's the main thing. And what about you, Kev? No, I'm just going to clean my house. <laughs> the world, no. Oh, everyone know, now knows that Kevin Berrios is cleaning his house. So if anybody wants to go over there and lend him a hand, just uh, send him a DM. I'm sure it'll take quite a while after the week that you've had. Uh, for, for now, I'm Preston Ellis. Here comes part two with Dave King. All right, welcome back to part two of our podcast today. We are previewing the Phoenix Suns with Dave King, editor to Bright Side of the Sun. Thank you for joining us, sir, on this very early morning. I know that you're accustomed to them, but I appreciate it all the same. Uh, no problem. I appreciate you having me on, Preston. Of course. Now, please forgive Dave for anyone he offends. He's been gracious enough to take this call. It's about 8 a.m. where he is over on the West Coast. And make sure you guys can follow him at Dave King NBA and at Bright Side of the Sun. Is that right? Uh, absolutely. Yes. 
All right, we got it. Dave, the Suns have won 67 games in the past three years following the opening weekend shellacking they took under Earl Watson. And of course, Eric Bledsoe famously posted that he wanted out of his hair salon. And uh, Watson was fired in favor of lifetime interim head coach Jay Triano. What, what's it like covering the Suns this season? <laughs> it's like a shame walk uh, for anybody who's watched Game of Thrones, man. If you're if you're a Suns fan and and you've been watching this through and through, you're not the one throwing the crap from the sidelines. You are the ones receiving the crap uh, walking down the middle of the road. So, yeah, I know it's, it's been, it's been a difficult road and the rest of us on media road, just kind of look at each other and laugh and, and uh, we're, we're just sticking it out until the times get better. That's for sure. When you said, when you reminded me that the Suns have won 67 games in three years, and uh, I know the latest projection of the Houston Rockets is to win 66 games this year after they're all said and done in one year. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a nice microcosm considering our former coach, Mike D'Antoni, is running the Rockets right now. Now, Dave, I want to ask you something a bit off topic, although it ha- does have to deal with the Suns, and I hope you'll go with me. I'm, in, I'm engaging in a Twitter debate with some of the media types from New Orleans, and, and here it is. Dallas last night sat Harrison Barnes, Dirk Nowitzki, Dennis Smith Jr., Memphis sat Tyreek Evans, Jermichael Green, Chandler Parsons, Mario Chalmers. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, of course, have been sitting some of their own players. Josh Jackson has been getting a lot of run. Not sure what is going on with Alfred Payton and his left knee. I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly tendinopathy uh i have no idea how to say that but do you feel like at this point the phoenix suns are trying to win oh that's a good question no i don't i think the players that are actually uh put on the court are trying to win in the moments that they're on the court i'll say that but when you start every fourth quarter with four or five g leaguers uh then uh you know you're not trying to as an organization you're not trying to win games um i know it's all in the name of taking a better look at the young guys. Uh, but the Suns have seen a lot of the young guys this year. And we're looking forward to next year, not having to have that be the mantra from day one again. Okay. And you've also been sitting Devin Booker for quite a while. Tyson Chandler, I don't think, has seen an NBA minute since February. Of course, Brandon Knight has been out since the offseason and TJ Warren as well. Are these guys just getting a DNPs? Are they actually hurt? Is there any chance we see Booker on Friday? There is a chance you'll see Booker on Friday, and there's a chance you'll see T.J. Warren as well. Uh, Those guys are nursing injuries. Uh, Booker's injury is to his right hand, his shooting hand, uh, and you're just not effective if you can't shoot so or dribble uh, with the ball without extreme pain. So I think, I think for the most part, these are injuries. If if this was important games, they'd probably be fighting through them to play, Um, but definitely. The Suns have amassed a lot of day-to-day injuries, that's for sure. All right, let's get into some of the games. You guys are 20-59 and on the year. You lost 15 straight before upsetting, or I I shouldn't say an upset, before defeating the Sacramento Kings the other night, 97-94. Before that, you played four pretty tough games against pretty – formidable opponents I should say Boston Celtics you lost by eight the Clippers by 12 the Rockets by one point Golden State by just 10 how have the Suns been in the past two weeks uh you know the the energy level is hit or miss I think the Suns uh, the Suns really want to play well when they're in the games it's just that the guys on the court aren't equipped to do that what's happened over the past week actually uh to be perfectly honest is that the other teams have come in expecting to be up by 20 by the end of the first quarter and the suns have sometimes sometimes surprised them 
with by taking the lead uh, just because the Rockets and the Clippers and the, and the Warriors, for example, uh, just didn't come in ready to play. Uh, certainly the Rockets didn't come in ready to play. They played James Harden the whole game, although they sat a couple of their other starters. Um, but, you know, they just weren't ready. James Harden's first three of the entire game was the game tying or was the, uh, the game tying shot, I believe. Um, so at the very end. So I think that it's just one of those, the other teams are just are expecting that to, to win by 20 because everyone's been doing it this year over the Suns. Yeah, got it. So they're just being comfortable and allowing the, the Suns to kind of stick around late in these ones. So these scores are a little bit uh, deceiving. Let's let's go to top 10 pick Josh Jackson. He scored 15 or more points in 11 straight. I think his season high is 36 uh, from about a month ago. What have you been seeing from him lately? Uh, he's got he's got a real, real good ability to score. He's got some nice touch around the basket. He can absorb contact when he's expecting it. He's still a little thin, so he'll he'll gain uh, lean muscle over the years and, and strength in his body, uh, be able to absorb contact better. But the guy is fearless. Uh, he really knows how to get to the rim. He's still got to work on his jumper and um, and the rest of his game. I mean, but he he rebounds pretty well. He passes okay. He's just a constant whirling dervish out there. He's constantly on the move, which is a nice sight to see. You don't want to see a guy who just fades into the corner. Um and, and just waits for the ball to come to him. Definitely Josh Jackson is always on the move. So he's he's really taken advantage of his opportunities over the past couple of months, that's for sure. And uh, he's got a very bright future. And there's a lot of young guys taking advantage of opportunities right now. And two of them are Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris, two uh, top 10 lottery selections last year. Uh, I, I guess I'll ask you this question. I, I was about to come up with my own opinion. Would you say they've been a disappointment thus far? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, for for very different reasons, they've they've come to the same outcome. They're both top eight picks. Uh, so the Suns between them and Josh Jackson, the Suns had three of the top twelve picks of the last two drafts, and uh, maybe Josh Jackson would be a really good player out of that. Marquise Chris is in his own head. He's got all the skills. He just doesn't know how to put it together. Uh, and uh, he well, he's got all the talent. Excuse me. He just doesn't have the skills yet. He doesn't know what to do with the ball when he has it other than finish a lob. He doesn't really know where to be on defense. He doesn't really know how to fight for rebounds unless they're coming straight to him. Marquise Chris is just an athlete out there trying to play basketball. Maybe eventually he'll learn it, but then he gets down on himself because other people want him to be better at basketball, and then he gets in his own head and he plays even worse. Whereas Dragan Bender, Dragan Bender, I don't know what happened with him. He is definitely a type B personality he he wants to stand in the corner and wait for the ball to come to him. He wants to swing the ball around the horn when it's when it's his turn to be the big in the middle um, on at the top of the key. Um, he likes being a secondary guy. He'll even catch the ball under the basket and instead of an open layup, he'll shoot it out to uh, an open three point shooter in the corner, who invariably will miss because the Suns are last in the league in shooting threes. So I. It's it's really a struggle for Dragon Bender has skills. He just doesn't want to use them, whereas Marquise Chris wants to use them. He just doesn't have them yet. All right, let's talk a bit about Alex Len. I watched him play in person against the Orlando Magic last week. And in the first half, he was kind of a wrecking ball, just collecting offensive rebounds. I think he collected something like 11 points in six minutes in his, or in six rebounds, I should say, in his first four minutes. Uh, what would you say is his upside? I know he's going into the offseason as a potential restricted free agent. Is that right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, unrestricted this year. He was restricted last year and did not get any offers. And so he signed the Suns qualifying offer for the fifth year um, on his, uh, as, you know, since he came in, into the league. Uh, but now he is unrestricted over the summer, so he can sign with anybody he wants. Okay. The and problem is there's only half a dozen teams with any cap space at all, and the Suns yeah. are one of them. That's right. We've seen uh, in the past two off seasons after that magical one three years ago where Joaquin Noah and uh, Joaquin Noah and uh, Bismack Biombo got such heavy paydays. Everybody's kind of taken a step back since that point in time. But with that being said, Alex Lynn does have uh, some potential. Uh, he does have a very big body, is very physical. Uh, you'd have to think at some points or other, you're probably going to have some version of Bender, Chris, and Alex Len matched up against Anthony Davis. And of course, famously, I think it was about a month ago when he fouled all three of them out. How do you think they fare this time? Uh, not not much better, unless Anthony Davis doesn't really take him to task. I think uh, Davis was really focused. The Pelicans are really focused on doing what they did last time and, and getting those guys uh, to put the Suns bigs into position to have to foul or have to play good defense. And, and if you give any Suns player that opportunity, they'll, they'll foul. Um, so I think if Anthony Davis goes into it with the same mindset tonight, the same thing will happen, but every game is different. And it could very well be the Marquise Chris has a great game. It could very well be the Dragon Bender makes three or four threes. It could. And then he uh, feels better about himself when he makes his first couple shots. And so he ends up having an okay game. Or it could be that Alex Lynn gets a double-double again in the middle. We really don't know what's going to happen on a game-to-game basis, but if the Pelicans are focused, uh, those guys will be in foul trouble the whole game. Anthony Davis will have his way. He'll probably have 50 and 20 if he wants to, and uh, it should be a Pelicans win. But the way things have gone in the last couple of weeks, like we talked about a couple of minutes ago, is the Pelicans will likely come in expecting it to be a very easy game the Suns might be spunky and, and sparky and, and make a few shots in the first half and feel good about themselves. And then it'll be up to the Pelicans to close out the game. Who knows what's going to happen, but I, I, I do feel like it'll be that kind of game tonight. Excellent. Before I get a, a prediction from you, which I pretty much just got, uh, we've gotten 80 minutes against the Kings from guys like Shaq Harrison and, and Daniel House. Um, and I already mentioned Alex Len. Troy Daniels uh, has been coming off the bench as a three-point shooter. What do you expect to see from guys like, uh, I guess, Devon Reed, Shaq Harrison, and Daniel House in this one? Well, that's the thing. In the last uh, week or so, those guys have gotten a lot of run. And <clears throat> the thing about an NBA game is somebody – I, I, God, I don't mean to sound too negative, but somebody has to score. You're going to get 80, 90, 100 points in an NBA game. It just happens. And if you play G League level players for the entire game, they're going to get their points. Shaq Harrison is 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 a very active defender, and he's really good at, at, at on the open floor and finishing in transition. Daniel House has been very good over the past week uh, in, in a lot of different areas in re- excuse me, rebounding, passing, as well as scoring, and, and uh, he, if he can make 40% of his threes, then he actually might be an NBA player going down the road. Alex Len, like I said, could get a double-double. Troy Daniels could make five or six threes if he gets enough space uh, to make them. So anything can happen in this game. Uh, those guys will end up having okay games, but I still think the Pelicans win by uh, 8 to 12 points. All right, there's the prediction. Uh, you summed that up nicely for us. Thank you again. This is Dave King. You can follow him at Dave King NBA. He is the editor to Bright Side of the Sun. You can follow that at Bright Side Sun. Uh, Dave, I'm not sure if I asked you this already. Are you going to be live tweeting during the game? Uh, I am. I don't. I. I. 
pre-write my recaps, especially now, because we always know what's going to happen. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, my, my, uh, my cohort, Evan Sidery, at eSidery on Twitter, is usually the one doing all the live tweeting during the game. And, and uh, we also, Brightside Sun, the, that account will be live tweeting as well throughout the game. Excellent. And is there anything else you'd recommend our listeners check out in advance of Friday night's game? Uh, in advance of, well, you can always, if you want to catch up on the suns and all the, all the fun things on the suns, brightsideofthesun.com <laughs> is a great way to do it. Um, and otherwise, you know, just uh, try to, you know, try not to avert your eyes during the game tonight when you see some of the plays the suns run. And is Brendan clean still helping out with locked on suns? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Brendan clean is still sure. Yeah. He used to, uh, or does he still work for the bird rights? I don't know, but uh, he, he's, he's a great guy. He's, uh, rotating in and out of going two games, and he does the daily Locked On Suns with with Evan Sidery as well. Yep. Well, best wishes to him. He was contributing for Bourbon Street Shots, another popular blog in New Orleans. Before that, he was actually my editor at PelicanDebrief.com. So very oh, there cool. You go. Okay. Yeah, very cool to see him doing so well. Thank you to you, sir. For everybody listening, we'll be back tomorrow with a preview of the Los Angeles Clippers. That one's going to be an important back to back. Of course, they're forty two and thirty six with uh, with a big victory last night against the Spurs uh, before the Spurs fell to the uh, to the Lakers. They are not having a good run of things in Los Angeles right now. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And we've got this important matchup. Uh, so thank you for listening. If you have a second, go over on iTunes, give us a five-star rating. We really appreciate it. For now, let's go, pals. You have been listening to The Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance.